podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the Mall Over Podcast. Hello, good evening, and welcome to this week's Mall Over Podcast, the only rugby podcast that gives you the news, views, and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mall Over Podcast. We are Mall Over Podcast on Facebook. You can find all of our podcasts on Anchor and all of the places that Anchor disseminates podcasts to. I'd love to be able to list them, but I cannot. One of the main ones being Apple Podcasts, but you'll know that if you found us already. Uh, I've got some special news um, for all you listeners. Two weeks on the bounce, we've got a full compliment. So we are joined by uh, the housewife's favourite from his cow shed in uh, North Cornwall. Welcome, Phil Elkins, farm vet. Russell, how are you? Very well. Yes, I'm excellent. Uh, live from um, Amersham, which is not strictly West Country, granted, um, but the voice of reason, everyone's uh, Twitter uh, go-to is the Chinese Lensman. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm not in uh, Amersham. I'm at the ex-wife's house. Nothing like that. <laughs> nothing like that. I mean... Def- definitely nothing like that. I mean, that's positive. I'm, I'm calling that positive and progress. So uh, we'll in, move on. So- you know, we're winning. Yeah, we'll move on from that. Um, and the nicest man in Cornish rugby podcasting uh, with a dog named Duke, um, who I see is really, you know, he's made himself at home. Ben, he's taken on. He's, he's now uh, communicating. I'm surprised he's not got his own Instagram account. Um, is that is that something that's going to be forthcoming? Um, no, I, I don't think he should be trusted with it yet. He's quite young. Um, I don't want him getting catfished or anything. Oh, I like that. that, that was, uh, is that a thing? It is a thing. Yeah, I thought you yeah. were going for a, a cat and dog sort of irony joke, but you know, we'll leave that there. Um, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about some rugby, shall we? Um, the good news is I'm reading that potentially that there can be some grassroots rugby taking place uh, at some point soon. Um, I've also read on Twitter this evening that that, that is going to uh, be adapted. So there's going to be no scrums or malls. Has anybody else seen that or is it just me? Yeah, no, I've seen that as well. Um, looks like the uh, Boxing Day game down at the Hornets might be on in some way, shape or form. No scrum sounds fantastic to me. Um, I'm well up for that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if if the Boxing Day there's a bit of rocking, I'm happy. If the Boxing Day game is being played in the usual torrential rain, mud conditions, we're going to need to know how to restart if we can't do scrums. Well, the restart is with a free kick, is what they're proposing. But they're also saying no malls either. So I guess, you know, a mall would be penalised by by a free kick as well, going the other way, if you try and set up a mall. What a load of old bollocks, are they? What a load of old bollocks, because ultimately, if you're in a ruck, you're going to be lying on top of each other anyway. Why not not bother until it's all fixed? Why not just let people make their own decisions? Because people need rugby. Um, no, I, yeah, I kind of would bend a little bit. Um, they're talking about the, uh, the junior rugby coming back this week as well. And a little part of me just wants to not give a shit till next September. You know, that's it for scrums and, ruck, yeah, scrums and malls in amateur rugby though, right? They're not coming back. Because there'll be some study that showed how many less injuries there were and how much safer it is for club rugby and 
Well, that, that's your lot. For good people will be rubbing our hands in, in joy. How, how are people like us supposed to have a rest then, Russ? I don't know. I mean, if you listen to, to most, you know, noises on Twitter after the weekend, rugby is just a game of, of kicking and tackling now anyway, isn't it? So you, know, you just find yourself in a place where you're not going to have to do either of those things or return, what a, what a, return a kick. Much in the same way that when I first started playing American football, we played a variation of, of flag football, with, which was full contact blocking, but flag tackling. And that the, the idea behind that was that it, it gave young lads a chance to play on the offensive and defensive lines in, in, in a proper manner because the contact there is managed. And obviously, the blocking was part of the game. <clears throat> what what that then did was the lads that played that then could transition into adult or junior kitted football and they'd be able to have the fundamentals of playing on the offensive and defensive line. In their infinite wisdom, British American football's government body decided that it was too dangerous to do that without kit. So the only gateway into football at the moment is five on five pass ball, which is the first non-kitted football you get, which has had added knock-on of there being no linemen that are being trained to go into adult football. So you're getting a lot lower standard of line play in adult football, which causes more injuries for quarterbacks and receivers. This might happen in rugby. If the scrums and malls don't come back, you're going to get kids going straight from amateur rugby. Where's the pathway for your forwards? What are the forwards going to become? You're basically going to become a 15-man game of centres because... Big Tell, who plays for the thirds, isn't going to rock up if there's no scrums and malls, is he? And we all love it. We all know a Big Tell. Exactly. Or two. It's just phasing out that part of the game. I, I think it's... I don't, I don't understand how you can have 60, 70 rucks in 40 minutes of rugby or whatever, but you can't have a one-minute mall. It's just mm. nonsense. If you get rid of scrums at junior level or, or youth level, then... They'll be gone from the whole game in 15 years' time. That's exactly my point, because it's, yeah. you can't have somebody go from 15 having never scrummaged in their life to adult scrums against gnarly old vets who are going to snap them but, in half. So. But it's not, it's not that different from that at the moment anyway. I mean, they don't start doing com, um, competitive scrums until under 14s or under 15s, I think. No, but they, you can't they have scrums, but there's, so no... there's no training going on for that kind of contact at all. No, no, because it's it's literally a lean on scrum until it's under 15s. It's a competitive hook, and they just stand there. There's no pushing. So you train the basics of of getting their good body positioning, good driving position, but ultimately they're not going to do it in a game if they know they're just stood there. So there's no, there's nothing there. Until they get to 14s, I, I think it's a big mistake within the, the junior setup in Britain that actually they don't bring those kind of things in. There's no competitive lineouts, I think, till under 16s. It's, it's a joke. Or there's no lifting in the lineouts. They have competitive free jumping lineouts at 15s, but there's no competitive lineouts until 16s. So you so, go from under 16 to all of a sudden you're 17, 18, playing in the second team game, having, having never done the bloody things. So how would you suggest, like, if, say, you're involved with Nuki, my argument would be for a lot of these clubs, well, if we're not going to play rugby, what's the point anyway? 
So at so the moment, we're trying. Well, what we're going to do is, is keep the kids engaged with a ball sport because um, we've already lost a couple of players in in the under eights because they can go and play football and play competitive matches. So if we don't do something that's going to keep them engaged with rugby, keep them running around with their mates, chucking a ball about, they'll go and find something else to do that and they won't come back. So that's that's the only reason really to do it as a club is to, to keep those kids engaged so that you don't lose them. But what, what can we do? The only thing that we can do, and I keep saying this to the, to the 12s, which is a much different age group. Yes, they can't work on their contact side that they're very good at, what they can do is work on kind of reading the game and getting their core skills right. Um, but it's very hard to do that like, without like a competitive the situation. Exactly. Exactly. Get If core, they can... Core they skills. Can, skulls. Yeah. Skulls. Core but, skulls. But you, you think about it, there aren't many kids at, at 12 years old who can pass a ball effectively eight or nine yards. Most of them struggle to do five yards, and that's not a lack of strength; it's a lack of technique. Fair but right. yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, a large chunk of me agrees with you, Doug. Other than the fact that football carries on as if it's normal, the kids will just go and play football. It's always going to be. It a just battle. seems so arbitrary. It just seems so arbitrary. What, like, you know, like a lot of these things. You know the the stupidity of having socially distanced substitutes benches. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you you can't catch COVID on a subs bench because you, you, your sub jacket keeps you safe. But the second you step on the pitch, you're immune. It's like I I did see on the bench at Exeter they just basically fucked all that off um, on Saturday evening. Once the guys came off, they were all just sat next to each other on the bench. Yeah. Which is yeah, but why why not? They've just been fucking jumping all over each other for the last it, sixty it, minutes. It's just the to me. There's um, we we going back to the rules of what they're suggesting with amateur rugby. Does that so? Are we precluding binding at a drive so you can't pick from the base of a ruck? Bind onto two of your fel- two two your players and and drive them over the line like Exeter would. I guess it's not a mall, is it? So, but it's technically the start of a mall or a. So, so you can do that, but then the opposition can't put two people in to make the tackle because then yeah, it's so a mall. It, it just seems <laughs> so you can bind pre bind with two. But so then, but then who's yeah, then who's definitely. then whose fault is it? Is it the ball carrying team or is it the, the tackling team? <laughs> It's a, it's all a bit of a farce, really. Um, like I I think so when it first came back post the original lockdown and the RFU went through their various different tiers, they were saying that you can play rugby ready, which is effectively like the O2 touch matches between clubs, if you want to do something that's competitive. And I tried multiple times, and I think the first team tried to to get some games set up, but nobody was really that interested in it. So I think you either say we're binning rugby or you can play rugby. And one of the two, just this halfway house thing is it, it helps no one. Just standard arse covering left, right and centre. Is, is yeah. that what it is from the RFU? Is this we, we don't want to say you can go and play rugby because we're worried you're going to sue us? Yeah. Yeah, of course it is. Probably, probably yeah. 
So why not just send disclaimers out? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, if, if why each... Not if, if individually, you know, JB's been a, on the Egg Chasers has been a, advocating this for a while, is why not just play unlicensed games? Make <laughs> unlicensed get... rugby? Yeah, so so you don't come under the um, under the envelope of the RFU. Why not just go out and get individually insured and go and play rugby? Yeah. Who are the they, RFU to stop independent organisations from doing what they want well, to they, do? They, they, they can't, can they? That's the point. They, it's no, not no, you'd have to, they you'd could... have to form. You'd have to form your own clubs, wouldn't you? Like breakaway clubs. Because if yeah. if you did it you as, for example, yeah, is if you did it as, for example, uh, let's not say Newquay Hornets, um, as uh, as Fred and Fred and Massive. If you did it as yeah, if you yeah, if if you did it as Hookin Hornets or 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 Fradden New Hornets or something, then you could you could do it. But if you did it under the banner of Nuki Hornets, then Hornets would get chucked out of leagues, wouldn't they? Maybe yeah, we should, maybe we should maybe we start maybe maybe we should suggest starting our own nationwide um, unlicensed rugby un- league. unlicensed rugby structure <laughs> <Bare knuckle> rugby <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bit, it's a bit like the a bit like the XFL, but you know, rugby. It's like the, the Alan Stamford of the rugby world, there. Right? Yeah, yes. The this Alan is basically Stamford. what happened with rugby league, wasn't it? They were like, "Well, let's start our own league and get paid for it." Yeah, and this that's is, all it was. But there are independent leagues around the country, aren't they? Because I think the team that JB is involved with are outside of the RFU framework. Oh, are they like really? The Lancashire League is independent from the RFU. So, I mean, the, the you know, if if you want to go and play rugby, what's to stop you? Organised sports can take place outside. Go and get a rugby pitch. Get fifteen mates who just might happen to have a Nuki Hornet shirt, and go and get set up a game against Veal. <laughs> I mean, of all the, of all the teams, you know. It's the go and get a rugby pitch. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not, is it? It's a patch of grass. Mark the corners out with rugby. Uh, don't. Oh, no. If there's one thing you it's can probably... sack off, is kicking penalties. Yeah, yeah. Sack off, sack off all kicking. Well, kick, kicking penalties, um, uh, conversions, bin them. Tight lines. Well, if you run into the hedge, it's your own shit. You well, get right. 17, but... 17 points for a try. You get, you get, you get, It'd be get, like that time um, that we, Russ, did you play at that game down at St. Just when we went down there and St. Just had overlooked the fact that despite having home, uh, home fixtures for their first and seconds, they only had one pitch. Yes. <laughs> so we ended up playing at Cape Cornwall School with football goals. Yeah. We had to yeah. use our imagination for conversions. Yeah. It's like those pre-season football friendlies that happen without a ref, isn't it? Yeah. But I played, I played a game at Sulkham, I think it was, and and there's it's right on the top of the hill, and there's no space there at all. Literally, the space between the touchline and advertising hoardings is about an inch and a half. So <laughs> you, you know, you go nowhere near that touchline. I mean, I mean, you could offer you, you could offer bonus points. I mean, if the referee's good enough, you could offer bonus points for um, headshots, neck rolls, seatbelt tackles. <laughs> Um, you could, you could make it like you know, in, 
you know, like in Gladiator, when the tigers like fly out of the out of the floor, <laughs> just go go the whole hog. Multi ball. Have a yeah, ravaged spring of spaniel come out of the round. Yeah, <laughs> I like the multi ball idea. Least when when you when you mentioned Gladiator, Ben, then I thought we were going we were going all John Anderson and Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> you could you could. It'd be like, here comes the Greggs, multi-ball, flying on. <laughs> the, the Morris Pasties sponsored multi-ball. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm laughing like I know what that means. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Anyway, right, let's, uh, let's move on from that. Now we fixed uh, grassroots rugby. Play decent. your own rugby, break the rules. If, I, think, I think everyone should... Um, Tweet us with examples of um, locally based advertised television features. You know, like the uh, the the Juicens building supplies action replay and stuff like that that we could introduce. I think that. Uh, you mean like the um, if if you were from around the London area, there was always the big green building on Golders Green Road, which was a, a carpet warehouse, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was on every local radio station. The big green building on Golders Green Road. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that like is that like you can get it at Selco where the trade goes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what I will the, say, the Arnold, the Arnold Clark said seatbelt tackle. <laughs> did, yeah. did, did did you know that it was? It is exactly just a shift gear fucking monumentally did you know it's two years to the week that we uh that we invented original rugby content and burgers burgers and stuff like that two yeah. years two years 2018 god it feels like more isn't it yeah and it's amazing how many of those have turned into genuine financial prospects for those players right <laughs> mate ryan x wine racks right up there I, I always do think whenever Dave Ribbons knocks on trying to offload out of a four-man gang tackle about his Ray Ribbon business. <laughs> Struggling in that at the moment and all. Oh, mate, no, ra- no raving going on. No, There's a lot of people struggling. I mean, Danny cares. He's not allowed in any of those care homes. <laughs> Death traps, aren't they? Yeah, yeah he's not yeah, allowed not, to. Not with that. Not with that moustache, anyway. He's, he's had to postpone his uh, his further career in pastoral care. Um, right, let, let's actually talk about some some rugby. England versus Wales uh, on Saturday. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go on. Joe Cock and a singer. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Cock and a singer. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. Um, yeah, England, Wales, England, should I say, at arguably the shittest stadium in the British Isles. Can we say that? I mean, can, can we agree on that? What I've a been, fucking place. I've been, the, been there, the worst thing, Many, many times, unfortunately. And the worst thing about it is you get to Cardiff and then you don't realise you're still two hours away from bloody Plymouth. <laughs> It's just is that, is, that where, is that where you saw you the French... You Tartar Steel. <laughs> is that oh, what you saw? That, is that what you saw, uh, Matt, the Matthew? Nando's yeah, Matteo Bastrano cleaning out Nando's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mate. Um, Sorry, we've got no chicken there, but you're Nando's. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one of the best anecdotes ever. Um, yeah, so there's been a lot leveled at this game um, 
and a lot to kind of get through from from Roman Poit, who, without even an English bias head on, I thought had a a terrific game, um, making decisions. Um, <laughs> well, no, you know what, right, rightly or wrongly, he fucking just made decisions, and he just went, "No, nah, I saw that. That was fine." You know, yeah, we can we can move on from that. It's not a problem. But the fucking amount of salty Welshmen out there—they're getting like the Irish. You know, the Irish are the Irish are pretty bad. Like we all know, we all know that. But you know, there's there's one Welshman in particular who just needs to put his phone down. Um, unfortunately, you know, he he talks a lot on a, on another podcast too. He won't listen to this, so it's not a problem. But he is an absolute melt, and he just. Like the tweet that he put out about Thomas Francis getting marched back ten yards and the supposed headbutt, which didn't actually exist, just from a camera angle, and then somebody somebody else saying, "Oh, I don't need to see another camera angle because that's clearly a headbutt." Well, clearly wasn't, mate. Otherwise, he probably would have been cited. And also, if it was a headbutt, then you would have thought that the seven other Welshmen in and around that vicinity would have probably have seen it. Yeah. Tell you what, if that if that had, but I probably would have got involved in more more barroom fights, but because there was there's absolutely nothing to that at all. I Russ, I I completely agree with you as you well know. I I thought Pratch had a really good game at just taking control of the game, helping the game flow. The game flowed so much better because every time the TMO chirped in his ear, he was like, "Nothing, no, fuck off, let's keep playing rugby." Um, that's not to say he got every decision wrong. I think he got it wrong on the tackle in the air or bigger just before the try. I thought that Slade try was going to get knocked off for it. Um, I think actually he got both calls on the scrums right. And there's a load of Welsh people getting really shitty about it because Samson Lee got penalised on the first one for losing his feet because his feet were too far back. And then penalised on the next one for, for edging when Mako fell flat on his face. And... They they looked pretty similar, uh, but actually when you look at it on the second one, Samson Lee his his shoulders finish about eighteen inches behind where they start. So Mako can't do anything apart from fall on his face. And the first one, Mako's shoulders stayed at exactly the same place as, as where they were. In fact they probably slightly moved forwards a bit. Um but it's really easy watching a rugby match to think every decision's going against you when you when you get beat. But no, I thought he had a pretty. I mean, let let's be honest. If it wasn't for the Henry Slade charge down kick from Dan Bigger, um, who ironically, uh, did anybody see the tweet from Austin Healy saying his oh, hands moving, his hands moving forward? It must be a knock on. Fuck me, that cut, that, charged. that that cut works for BT Sport. Yeah. Um, like, if it wasn't for that, Wales would have been nowhere near the game. Like, it just. They were, I thought Wales were poor. They defended quite well. Um, and I thought England's kicking game that we talked a lot about last week. Are those Chris for you, Doug? Um, <laughs> the, Sorry, the England, did I not mute my mic? The England, no, kicking, no. The England kicking game that, that, we, that we talked a lot about last week against Ireland really wasn't up to scratch. And you notice in the first in the first few phases, probably the first 10 minutes, how many passes were actually um, behind people. I don't know if you, you guys noticed yeah. that, Ben, 
where yeah. just the, the accuracy, every time England were getting on the front foot, there would just be a pass that somebody had to reach reach to get rather than take into contact or, or come onto the ball. Shot their momentum. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, thought, I thought Wales actually defended pretty well, and I think that was probably a part of that as well, as they were quite aggressive in their defence. They, they played a bit defensively, a bit like England did or have been doing of late, and I think probably put England off their march a little bit. But they looked impotent in attack. Yeah. Well, they did. They, they, they didn't look to have any... I mean, a centre partnering of Nick Tompkins and Johnny Williams, who both played for England in non-cap internationals events against the Barbarians. Um, you know, fair play to Johnny Williams for his comeback. I mean, I've always liked him when he was playing for Newcastle. Um, I never thought I'd see the day that he'd be starting in in a, a twelve shirt in international rugby. I've got to be honest. I've liked him as a player, but I didn't think he he was of of that level. Um, so it's it's an interesting one. Um, ben, what did you make of the sort of the game as a whole? Well, I think um, you would probably expect that kind of performance from from that Welsh team because. On paper, it, it didn't look a very strong team. But actually, if you look up the, the spine of the side, you've got um, Alan Wynne-Jones, Valatau, um, whichever Welsh nine plays is strong, bigger, and then half-penny at fullback. So at least they had a spine. So you'd think at least they should be able to be organised and defend quite well. But in terms of um, their attacking players, there wasn't a great deal of experience there. I mean... I don't think Reece Samet touched the ball in the first half. Um, and I thought, to be fair, Wales probably acquitted themselves quite quite well. I think Phil's right that they probably right to feel aggrieved about not getting a penalty off that tackle. Although, I mean, it was, what was he, about four inches off the ground? So it was, you know, it's not the end of the world oh, to me it, that that it, wasn't given as a penalty, it wasn't, but it wasn't, by the letter it, of the okay, law, that it, I'm sure it's right. Um I just think I think England they were they just stuck to the plan that worked against Ireland and and they just didn't do it quite as well in this game. Um, your point about the passing early on is is totally correct, but they they were just too powerful for for Wales I think and and just really I think they just knew Wales weren't going to score too much against their defence so they didn't get too ambitious. Um, but I'm I'm st- I'm convinced now that the the game plan is they. They have a, a couple of looks, and I think with Ford in there, they just have a couple of sort of runs in tight, and then they might try. If they don't break through there, they might have a look wide. But if if nothing's on, they, the, the the game plan is to kick it away. So I don't think it matters who plays at ten. It could be Ford, Farrell, yeah, Simmons, you say, you say, Smith. You say that. They're all going to kick the ball a lot because I think that's just they've just yeah. Eddie's just decided. We're safer without the ball because if you get yeah. turned over out wide, or if you if you get tackled out wide, you're going to get turned over. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with what you're saying, um, but I I just thought, and I and I said this on Saturday, we look so much. The accuracy was lacking, and I think there was there was general accuracy issues all game for England, kicking and in hand. Um, however, I thought we looked so much more of a threat running the ball with Ford at 10 that we did with Farrell. Um, Doug, we've not heard from you on the, uh, on the England Wales game yet. What, what did you, what did you think about it? Well, I didn't watch it, mate. That's why I haven't said anything. 
Fair enough, mate. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave you there. <laughs> You've not seen it at all? I watched the last 10 minutes, watched Jack, watched Jack Willis get a turnover and then uh, had a beer. That was it. Cheers. He's fucking phenomenal, by the way, Jack Willis. Fair play. The positions he gets his body into when he gets a turnover. He's basically doing the split, almost like, almost like a half splits. And he's getting such a strong position. And it was just fucking, it was mental. That, that pack, for, you know, all Twitter was all day was people complaining about England's attacking play. But that pack is fearsome now. I think Launchbury was brilliant. Um, the try that Mako scored, the, the two runs that made any ground were because Launchbury latched on. He, he just kept coming back in and, and, and working. And, and he's, he's a bit of a water carrier, isn't he? He's not very spectacular, but he just gets through so much work. Um, Atoje, I've, I can't remember the last time Atoje had a bad game, and he's a pain in the ass. Um, and, and the back row is, is just phenomenal like because um willis makes so many turnovers everyone's just forgotten that curry is brilliant at the breakdown and you know yeah. he he made a couple and underhill made one and 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 as a pack it's it's pretty fearsome now um it's just which gives eddie james the option for horses for courses selections doesn't it if you need if you need to play against a team where you might need to slow them down and keep them in the ruck and, and keep them honest at the breakdown, you might pick Jack Willis to start. Or, you know, you go it just gives you it gives you the ability to to move things around a little bit. And when you can play potentially you can play a Toji at six, which allows you to pick an extra an extra back rower or, you know, not having a lock on the bench if you've got a Toji at six or whatever options you decide to choose. I I don't think a Toji should ever place at six no, for England again. I know, but what I'm saying the is, only, is, is when only, you've got options. The only time you should play six is for the last 15, 20 minutes if it gives you more flexibility on the bench. But yeah. I don't... He's not a star six. He's, but, he's, he, he'd be in a world second row at the moment. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, don't think there's any reason with the back row players we've got that that guy should be on at six. Yeah, I agree, and and I, th- I think I don't it think the, two positions. Yeah, I completely agree, and I I think they'll be playing that kind of bench a lot with two two back rowers on the bench. It makes a lot of sense, especially as if you could have. I mean, Watson probably didn't get enough opportunity to shine. Um, he did some good stuff. He he made that break wide and the lead up to um, Mako's try, didn't he? When the um, that was kind of what got it going. But you think if if you had a nine and someone like Jonathan Joseph on the bench, for instance, um, or Watson, someone that, uh, with the flexibility in England having that in that back line, having a utility back. If you've got Ford and Farrell on the pitch, if you've got Slade and Joseph and Watson and Daly, if you've got that level of flexibility, you can go for that six-two bench without having uh, having too much um, too much. It worries. gives you, op- gives you Sorry, options Ted. then because you've got um, you could have someone like Willis. If, if you're ahead, Willis is a nightmare for the opposition because he'll come in and just turn over, you know. What was he on? Twenty minutes. You're going to turn over. You know, you bring bring him on, and and you you got to be so careful about attacking. But if you've got that flexibility on the bench, you could have someone like Earl 
or Simmons or Mercer to bring on if the game, you need to chase the game. And that's the um, point. That's the point, isn't it? Is that as well, if, you, if you've if you got six forwards on the bench, if you're playing that heavily defence-orientated game with a kick and a kick chase, you're not, your backs aren't necessarily going to be expending that much energy, which means your forwards are going to do a lot of the heavy lifting, which means you have the six forwards on the bench and you can really freshen that up, which is going to give you that extra edge in the last sort of 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, I mean, we argue about the centres all the time, but as long as you've got two centres you can tackle in that lineup, it doesn't matter that much. <laughs> well, it doesn't when you kick when you're kicking as yeah. much as we're kicking at the moment. Um, well, you know, I, I I just think that they're they're playing very much like Saracens used to play, and that's why he's not so interested in a lot of the Exeter players because they. Exeter is more of a slow burn, isn't it? It's more of a slow burn and attack, and it's more of a passive defence. Whereas with the the what the style he wants to play, it, it's it's very aggressive. Yeah, and Underhill's perfect for it. He was that phenomenal good. on Saturday, by the way. I mean, not only, not uh, only his tackling, but his well, one thing I've noticed about him is is his is carrying. He he's really he's the, poor, a lot... the poor kid deserves a try. He's had, he's had three yeah. or four times where he had he had one disallowed. Is it in the final? Is it the World Cup final? Was semi-final, it wasn't it? Semi-final. Well, he's had two yeah, disallowed versus the All Blacks, hasn't he? Yeah, um, I was I was sure he was going to score on Saturday, and then just yeah failed at the last hurdle. But yeah, he, he definitely deserves one. But no, he's he's been phenomenal. Um, to be fair, that's suppose... sorry, go ahead, Kevin. Sorry, I was just going to say that Slade try was. We've said England have got aren't been very very creative, but that Slade try was a really good try. Yeah, yeah. It's when yeah, it's, it's not, being creative in the right areas. The show isn't it? Like, apart from Jordan A's try last week against Ireland, they're just not doing the show reel tries. They're they're doing the really well constructed tries, and they're and they're chucking the ball about when they when they're dominating in the and in the within the opponent's ten meter line. But, they're, they're winning test yeah. matches, aren't they? That's, that's what they're doing. Um, um, moving, like, just just moving towards this weekend. If 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 no one's got anything to add about the Wales game, oh, Phil, you want to talk about Alan yeah. Jones? Yeah, I did. So it's something that I've I've had a thought, and uh, it, it's an opinion. It's nothing more than that. If you want to come at me and tell me I'm talking shit, that's fine. I suspect. Ben will disagree with me, judging on some of the stuff that he said earlier. Um, people are getting such massive jobbies about Alan Wynne-Jones, and I just don't see it. I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm not saying he's shit. But friend of the pod, long-term listener, we all had dinner with him, apart from Dougie, a couple of weeks ago, Ryan Keishaw, there was a question came up. Who Who's the hardest-working rugby player you've ever seen? And he said Alan Wynne-Jones. And I'm like, yeah, he's reliable he's dependable i just don't think he's as anywhere near as exceptional as people make him out to be i think there's two big reasons why he's got as many caps as he's got and that's because wales haven't had any strength and depth in the second row for 10 15 years and because he plays in a mickey mouse league where there's there's just not the physicality training his body 
that comes from the Premiership, the top 14 Super Rugby, that that means that he can keep on going for as long as he's gone on. I think it's more impressive that Simon Shaw went on for as long as he did, playing in, in France for a significant chunk and playing in England. But that's longevity. That's not hard working. Now, for me, on that pitch on Saturday, I'd say Fartel, Mako, Marrow, Underhill were all harder working than he was. I don't. I get that he puts himself around a bit. He also, yes, he makes a reasonable amount of tackles. He he doesn't throw in the dominant tackles into that that some of these other players do as well. You rarely see him knocking people back. They're more kind of making sure you take people to ground. And I just, I just don't see why people rant and rave about him the way they do. It's it's like he's a gift from another planet, and he's just a. A, a decent player who's hung around for a long time. I'm telling you, and most other teams in the world, he doesn't get anywhere near 100 caps. Well, I'd say there's probably five, if not six or seven locks in the British Isles that I would put above him. Probably five from England. Yeah. I, I definitely, it definitely wouldn't be in my top handful in the world at the moment. Like you roll the clock back ten years, he's and a Welsh got so, so many lines, caps, etc., etc. Roll the clock back ten years. Paul O'Connell was a better second row than he was. He's, yeah, he's James, just James Ryan had probably, each nation has got just that, had so. very limited challenge within Wales in second rows. They just haven't and had good second rows at any one point. Ireland have got Devon Toner. Scotland have got Johnny Gray. We've got. Probably Launchbury is the closest you can get to a Win Jones, and I, 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 and I think you know. The, and I, the, the the one positive that he has got is he does seem to. Uh, I'm going to contradict myself here. He does seem to inspire other people and seems to be seen as a as a really good leader by the rest of the team. Having said that, his uh, his form as captain is pretty fucking shocking. I think. <laughs> I think well, um, that, that's the point, though, isn't it, Phil? Like he, he's well regarded by everyone, and and I've I've spoken to people who, um, you know, who've not played alongside him, but sort of met him sort of socially through players, and apparently he's a very impressive man. Um, and I think part of it is his sort of leadership and his his character. But you don't get that many caps by accident. To be fair, I think Dougie probably summed it up quite well in saying he's he's a, similar to Johnny Gray, um, you know, works hard, makes his tackles. Um, and also, but he's, he's got that added sort of leadership and character to go on there. And you're probably right. If you play, if, if he was from New Zealand, he wouldn't have as many caps, but you don't get that many by accident. And, um, no, you know, no, I wouldn't want to not... come across that, that we think he's sort of a, no hoper from the local thirds or anything like that. No, but no, no. When I'm you, not, when you, I'm not sorry, saying, mate. But when I'm you go through, not... mate. When you go through the, you tell me a lot in the last ten years, right? I could probably name you three or four plus Alan Wynne Jones, um, Welsh second rows, Luke Charteris, Jake Ball because he's playing now. Who was the geese? Who was the who was the geezer that went on the Lions tour? Corey Corey Hill. Oh yeah, you got like Goff and Oh, uh, Ian Goff, yeah. yeah. 
But, you know, none and, and of I the... think that's a, that's a chunk of it. Now, I'm not saying he's a shit player and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve a reasonable amount of international caps. I'm just saying that I don't think he's anywhere near as hardworking as Richie McCaw was when he was playing. I don't think he's anywhere near as good a second row as Paul O'Connor was when he was at his best. I don't think he's anywhere near as hardworking <laughs> or as good a second row as Maru Itoji is at the moment. I just think he's, he's a he's a reasonable international player. Yeah, well, you, you're not exactly setting a low bar, are you? He's not as good as Paul no, O'Connor no. or Richie McCaw. <laughs> no, but, the, but the point is, there's people out there who are saying he's he, literally, this is what Ryan Keishel said, he's the hardest working player that he's ever seen over the, over the span of his career. And I just don't see it. Fair enough. I, I, he's a, he's you a can't, decent international you can't knock someone, player. You can't knock someone for that opinion. And if he, if he if he thinks that, and and he's probably watched him a lot for Wales and and I think it, I'd I'd argue that point based solely on the fact that he probably only plays ten games a year and nine of them are for Wales. Well, and and the other one that he plays is against a, a Mickey Mouse team in a Mickey Mouse league. Yeah, yeah. I've got. Can I, um, he's sorry. rarely the best player on the pitch whenever I watch the Wales game or God forbid it a Swansea game. But to his credit, he's rarely the worst player on the pitch either. No, but it's it's just a you know, you're you're right. I think there's there's a cult of um, I quite know how to put it. There's like a cult of following with him, isn't there? That you know, he's Alan Wynn Jones. He's this incredible human being that's you know unlike any other player that's ever strapped on a whale shirt. When when actually you look at his what he does during the course of most games and it's what a second row should do. He's not Maro Toja, is he? I've never seen him have a game that's anything like as good as what Toja yeah. does on a weekly basis. As as far as influence yeah. with play with what he does as a player, as yeah. opposed to what he does as a leader or just being a general referee Norse. Um let, let's move, let's move on from from Alan Jones. The final of the Nations Cup, the Autumn Nations Cup. I don't know, you know, how interested anybody is in this, but I am. Um, it's interesting to see to me the the level of squad that the French have picked for the weekend. Have you have you seen yeah, this? Yeah, There's no no Vakatawa, no Dupont, no Untermac, no Chat. Um, There's um. 121 caps across the entire squad, but they've been forced into it. So um, the, there was an agreement with the top 14 clubs that, that, that no player can play any more than three internationals in the window. And the window included the um, the last six... Uh, it was a warm-up game, wasn't it, against Wales? Um, uh, so yeah, Wales, Ireland, and then they had the... Uh, they obviously didn't play... Uh, so they had Scotland and then Italy so they've had four games already and they've, uh, they've got there's a limit that says that no players can play any more than three games according to that agreement so they've lost Vakatawa, Dupont, Olivon um, don't have an option to play them yeah I mean which is which is great news for England in a competition that really doesn't mean anything um it Twickenham on, on Saturday, but it just seems a bit of a shame that, you know, everybody would have wanted to see the, the best of what France has got against, against England in a bit of a rematch of, of Paris in February. So 
It would have been a very good match, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, two contrasting styles. <laughs> I mean, England. If England didn't get that kicking game right against a, a French team that love to counter attack like like they do, then that would have been a, a joy. Have you um have you seen the England squad? Yes, Alfie Barberi's in. Yeah. Is that just out? Yeah, he's yeah, named a, he's named a, a thirty one man squad. Um which, you know, it's got it's got a few surprises. It, it it kind of is it kind of is what it is. There's no Joseph who's who's left the squad but an injury. Um but Barberi's in and you know the the same again it is funny because I've seen it loads does of tweets. Feel a bit- it feels a bit like I expect every time there's one of these squad announcements, he's going to name a jar of Nutella as a trainee 10. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. The 33 That's players nuts. have been called up. Not, uh, not 31. <laughs> and he's, uh, he, as I say, I got it, Ben. Thanks, Doug. I, I, I got it. I got it. I just ignored it. I could I couldn't I just couldn't. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting one, you know. All of the same, the same players are back in, but yeah, I've still seen tweets saying, "Still no Sam Simmons." Like he's not going to pick him. It's not going to happen. Just give it up, Liam. Never going to meet him. Never going to meet him. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's just pointless, you know. And and fair play, you know. If that's what he wants to do, that's what he wants to do. Let's let's not dwell on it. We've we've talked it to death. Yeah. So the the squad, it's only really Alex Mitchell coming again. Alfie Bar- um, Barberi and Charlie Yules come back in. Other than that, it's pretty much the same they're squad. Lady, isn't lady, Charlie Yules. There you go. There's an English Alan Wynne Jones. <laughs> Charlie Yules. <laughs> yeah, well, well played. 17 caps. He's got 17 yeah. caps. Yeah, but he's won them all against Georgia and Fiji. Off the bench. <laughs> Romania and. You know, teams teams that England play. Charlie Yules, I bet, has won the majority of his caps against the fourth team in the autumn international window. <laughs> you know, when we've played Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, or Argentina, uh, and and all of a sudden, you know, we there's a random one thrown in. We played Samoa, and we played Fiji, and we played someone else that's really shit. And uh, and that's where we played Japan a couple of years ago, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's we always where... wear we always wear the NAF change kit. Yeah, and I mean that's that's no disrespect to Charlie Yules, right? He's he's a good player. He's he's probably a a, a lovely bloke, but I don't I, I don't get him. I, I don't get it. No, I you know, I honestly like I think they mates fancies a girl and and like <clears> everyone looks at her and they're like I don't I, I just don't get it. What's he looking at? That's Eddie Jones with Charlie Yours. I think. I think. It, I mean, that's Eddie Jones with a lot of players, isn't it? But I could see maybe it's a leadership thing, Ben. It, it is. It is. There was um, one of the one of the games. I can't remember if it was uh, one of the one of the warm ups or the or, or the so, Italy sorry, game ben, or the Georgia. Just, can I just butt in? If you're picking Charlie Yours for leadership, your national team isn't good enough. <laughs> I don't If that's if that's a deciding factor on him being picked, there is a fault in the English rugby system. I don't disagree, Doug. But two games. He lost to New Zealand and he's lost to France. And other than that, he's won all the rest of the games he's played for England. All all I would say is is it was it was either the Italy game or the Georgia game. I can't remember what it was, and they were size. You know, they had a penalty, kickable range, and and you could see the players 
were looking towards him as one of the people to make a decision. Um, so, so there is obviously some kind of. But that's that's ridiculous. The person taking the kick is the captain. Yeah, yes, that's, that's a true story. I, I have a feeling Farrell wasn't. It was it was a game Farrell wasn't on the pitch. I think. I, right. But I, I noticed it at the time um, that they obviously were sort of deferring to him a little bit. Um, maybe I'm not just, saying maybe he's an absolutely rock hard psychopath, and nobody wants to upset him. Do whatever you want. Just don't touch your face. Don't don't upset Big Charlie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Charlie, I'll have your jacket. That, that 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 that's a regular conversation in the Elkins household. Um, <laughs> yeah, indeed it is. Um, yeah, I, I know, I know what you're saying, but yeah, Barbera. The interesting thing is that Alfie Barberi's been been picked, and uh, you know the likelihood of him getting a cap this weekend is probably pretty slim. But um, uh, they want to get him in though because he abs- ran absolute riot at the weekend. Well, the other the there other thing is to be a real through line between the under twenties and the national side. At the moment, yeah. a lot of these players are, are sort of getting getting a look. The, I guess the other thing is that he can both hook and play in the back row as well, can't he? Which, yeah. you know, it, at international level is a bit of a gamble. But, like, imagine having that sort of flexibility on your bench as well. Yeah. And it would mean Jackson. Yeah, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure we need that kind of flexibility on the bench, to be honest. But I'm struggling to think of anyone other than Scott Britt who, who I think convincingly play international hooker or back row. Listen, mate, if we're picking players because they're just a good leader, then, you know. Yeah, yeah, fair point, fair point. Yeah. I'm um, surprised Tom Wood doesn't get in for his ability to craft workbenches. <laughs> Wood's, Wood's got wood. <laughs> he actually does have, have um, um, what is the, the name of Tom Wood's um, sort of joinery business is a play on words with, with Wood. Tom's Wood, or so it's literally like Tom's Wood products or something. Amazing, Tom's Wood. Um, right, okay. Well, talking about Tom Tom's Wood, let's let's move on to the Premiership, shall we? Um, we will skip through Newcastle Sale Friday night only because uh, I don't think any of us really watched it, and um, only to say that you know, fair play to Newcastle, seemed to be surprising a few teams. Um, they stayed in the hunt against Sale and then scored a, a last-minute try. I think it was Toby Flood that went over, and that's a very much mistaken. Yeah. It's fell over. <laughs> little, I don't know. From Mickey Young, and he got his feet stuck in the turf and fell over and landed on the ball. I, I don't know if you've no, if you noticed, but the ball was carried into the ruck before that by Luther Burrell. So it's Luther yeah. Burrell to to Mickey Young to um, Toby Flood with a combined age for the last three people to touch the ball of 378, which, funnily enough, is a premiership record. I must admit, I thought at one stage in the England game, I I sat there and I I thought to myself, Joseph's playing well and Launchery's playing well and so's Falatau. And it was like, this is very five years ago, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to be fair, all three of those all three of those players you mentioned, um, obviously not Launchbury, but two, no, let's start that again. Two of the three players that you mentioned could have done a job for Bath on Saturday on Saturday yeah. evening. Um, but before we get to Exeter Bath, uh, let's go to, oh, let's go to the Gardens. 
Franklin's Garden, Saturday lunchtime for what was an absolute Super Rugby points fest. Um, Northampton versus Quinns. Doug, you were there um, on on camera two. Three. Know. Ah, just a guess. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I watched it on television. Um, ball in hand, Saints, Saints look, look okay. Um, again, a few injuries costing them. But defensively, they are an abomination. I yeah, mean, that's putting it mildly. I, so I'll, put, I'll let. Why don't you guys have a general chat if you want to about this game? Because I think did all of you watch it? No, I, want, I have no interest in having a general chat. I want to hear Doug. Ben, Ben, <laughs> you were Ben. You were you watched you watched. Get, get some well. reasonable chat out of it before I, you know. Um. Yeah, uh, it was a little bit uh, open, wasn't it? Let's put it that way. Um, I thought, um, what was the uh, the South African playing for Quinns in the centre? Uh, Esther Hazen. I, I thought he was really impressive. Um, Quinn, well, Quinns looked good, but they were they were made to look good, really. Um, they scored one, at least one, absolutely belting try. Um, but I don't know. I go with Quinn's. What's happening there? Are you all? Have you all gone into the toilets separately? To... No, no. That was a very loud noise. Anyway, carry on, Ben. Um. Yeah, I, I, I just think um, you've got sort of Hutchinson for Saints, who was setting the league on fire this time last year, and not starting him, and he came on and. Looked quite dangerous, but although he made a few mistakes, I, I don't know why he's sort of fallen out of favour. Um, they just were so narrow. They were just getting hit out wide all the time. Um, yeah, just Quinns. It, it was a difficult one. It was one, easy for it? Quinns, wasn't it? It was, it was. And, I mean, the first half... Quinns were their own worst enemy in the first half. They let they let Northampton back in through some pretty basic errors. No, Quinns Quinns for me should have been out of sight in that first half. Um, and then they got themselves out of sight, and then let let Saints back in. You know, Hutchinson scored, and then Ludlam scored, and it was just kind of base little basic errors. They they seemed to accelerate and take the foot off the gas, and in equal measure equal measures all the time and um yeah it was just it's just a bit frustrating to watch and and i guess as a as a northampton fan it must have been pretty frustrating for you doug yep i mean we don't usually get into this but i'm, I'm just going to read you a few statistics out from this game harlequins had 24 clean breaks to northampton's five um they had 60% possession. They had um, 12 missed tackles to Northampton's 32. Um, I, I, I could go on and on. The, the, the amount of metres that, that, that were made was massively in favour of, of Quinn's. Um, it just... Uh, Northampton play like Possession of a rugby ball is almost to be looked down upon. 
you need to make something happen as quickly as possible and get that ball out of your hands no matter what happens. Otherwise, bad things will happen. I've been saying, I don't know how long I've got to say it, I don't know how long and how many times I've, I've said it, but R.C. Tuala is the worst player in the Premiership. <laughs> he would be the worst player at some stadium. I'm not even, I, I kid you not, that man is a liability. He gets beaten on the outside so many times. I think it might be you, Doug. Sorry, are you moving about as you're on your, on your iPad? No, sorry, I might have my hand on the mic. Sorry, is that oh, better? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, he just an absolute liability. The the, the problem we've got uh, with, with uh, at Saints is not scoring points. Twenty nine points should be enough points to win any rugby match if you've got a competent defence. We don't have a competent competent defence. We don't have a competent defence coach. We don't have a, a competent forwards coach. We've we've got Phil Dowson who. I said when he was given the job, what are his qualifications? How is he going to make the team better? He's mates with half of these people. What you know? What what positive influence is he bringing to that side? Uh, so far, it seems to be absolutely none. Um, we, I tweeted at half time that we were making the making Harlequins look like nineteen seventies barbarians. This was a team that we were playing that have been pumped by pretty much everyone they've played for the last nine or ten games. We look completely unprepared defensively. Completely unprepared. And what it's doing... I don't I don't know if anyone... I'm going to go back to American football. I don't know if anyone watched um, any of the NFL last night, but when teams play the Kansas City Chiefs, they're under so much pressure to score because they know that their defence is not going to stop the Chiefs that it almost makes it impossible for them to do the right thing. And I think Northampton backs know, and the forwards especially know, the forwards know that if they get into a scrum, they're probably going to give away a penalty. The backs know that if they turn the ball over, they're probably going to concede a try. So every time we have a little bit of possession, we're forcing it because we have to score. We, there, there's no confidence that we can keep a team out because I don't think the players believe in the defensive system. I think it's a complete... Everyone just looks tense, completely tense. Um, it's, it's just not good enough. Uh, you know, Something's got to give because Harlequins are a bad team. They're not a good team. Uh, the bottom three, as from what I've seen, I've seen a lot of rugby over the last couple of months. From what I've seen, the worst teams in the Premiership are Harlequins, Northampton, and probably Gloucester. And that's interesting because Gloucester, Gloucester put in a performance Saturday beating Wasps. They put 40 points on Wasps. Just out, and- out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, I think Wasps are, are struggling through through injuries. They've got like international call ups and and stuff. But um, from what I've heard and what I've read, Billy Billy Twelve Trees put in a virtuoso performance for Gloucester. I mean, it's it's quite something when when Billy Twelve Trees is still almost single handedly winning games for for Gloucester. Um, Looks like he's running in treacle though, doesn't it? Yeah, that must be his main. Um, 
the other game, one of the other games on Saturday was was Bristol versus Worcester. Brist, Bristol, as expected, Ashton Gate quite comprehensively beat uh, Worcester. Um, I did want to just touch yeah, on... Yeah, showed a really nice bit of kind of sevens-like footwork for uh, for the first try. Piers O'Connor try was totally... Got a standing start. Three um, Worcester players in front of him. He took two steps backwards, two to his left, and just flew through a gap. Um yeah, really, really neat bit of footwork. I, I don't know who I don't know who he stood up at that point, but they need to get in the sea for a little bit because they were literally done to death. Um, and you mentioned footwork. I don't I don't want to labour the point on X to Bath, Ben, for your sake, um, because Bath were really, really bad. I don't know whether there was a um, a slight hangover from the Newcastle game. Uh, Exeter were, you know, at their most efficient I think is probably fair to say without being without being spectacular again but you know Exeter aren't that spectacular team are they um other than the try from Tom O'Flaherty which is one of the best you know one of the best volleys of a rugby ball I've seen um yeah that that was absolutely outstanding did did you Um, see did you see at that point um, Josh Matavesi found himself on the wing, didn't he? Did you see the reverse <laughs> angle of Tom O'Flaty volleying the ball and Josh Matavesi trying to turn and, and run <laughs> after him? And you could just see it in his face. It was just like, I've got to run after him here, but I've got literally zero chance. I may as well not bother. And uh, it, was, um, it was interesting with that game, Russ. Like, obviously, I think, like most people, I watched the England game and switched on to the um, Bath game when the England game finished. and it was only 7-3 when I switched on and then uh, quite quickly Exeter got a push like a push over try, uh, Simmons' second try. Yeah, And um, then a minute later they scored. And then literally a minute later and that just killed the game as a contest. And um, after that, it was men against boys. That's the only way to describe it, I think. Um, Ewell's um, obviously in there for his leadership, but it didn't, didn't go too well in that. Um, it, on on I, I Saturday... That Simmons try really pissed me off. That you got Zach Mercer, and I I like Zach Mercer as a player, but he does this a lot, and it and it really irritates me. You've got a forward pack like Exeter, who you know drive as an eight, and once the initial shove had gone, he stood up with his hands on the second row's backs. Those players, they they need every single ounce of of push that they get behind them, and you've got your number eight not even making an effort to, to look like he's pushing. He's just stood up. Like, you kind of expect it from a from a flanker every now and then, but that's the situation. Drake's not going to be the one making the tackle if they break away. You you need him shoving for all of his might then in a five-metre scrum. And I just I just think it's a lack of lack of personal responsibility for that. I mean, I, I, I don't... I don't know uh, enough about the, uh, the the workings of a scrum to, to to comment too much on that. Actually, get, going back to the England game, I, Mako's try actually came from uh, an England scrum, sort of fairly close to the line, and and I was watching it, and uh, I was just like, "Don't overcomplicate this. Just you've got Billy, just pick it up and run." And they did it, and he nearly made it, and they scored from there. And I think maybe it's the same sort of. Um, moral to that story is just do the simple thing and do it well yeah agree yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, definitely. 
two well, weeks simple, two weeks physics, of the... simple physics says ben if you're if you've got the more people that are pushing the more chance you've got of not going backwards yeah um, don't, don't overthink and, it and, and 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 off the back of a scrum if if eight picks and goes you're relying on your flankers to make the tackle you're relying on your your left hand flanker will that be blind or open to get up and tackle your eight if you pick and goes mm. you're relying on your your right hand flanker to Get the scrum off if it's out or out out to the backs, and your eight really is there for for the second man out or the or the next play, which means that he can afford to stick his head down and give it a shove. Yeah, um, just to change that's like two weeks in a row now. I've watched Bath, and two weeks in a row the commentators called Josh McNally Josh McAnally repeatedly over and over and over and over again, and it's really wound me up. Um, do you know, obviously they, they would do their research and they would know what someone's name is before before they uh, before they start commentating. You know, Ben, obviously you're the, the king of pronunciation, so uh, you, know, you would Sorry, do that, you? Sorry, just repl- repeat that, Russ. I missed that. The commentator. I, I, I don't know who the commentators were. Um, I think it was the same guy who did Bath versus Newcastle last week and he did Exeter versus bath on saturday and repeatedly called josh mcnally josh mcanally oh it really winds me up yeah <laughs> it's just fucking it's just late i'll tell you what it's lazy it's what it is there's no a in his name it's josh mcnally and you know i shouldn't be getting offended on his behalf but it's just it, it to me it's just lazy you know if you're gonna if you're gonna concentrate really hard on saying you know ratuin i can't even say his name can i um the, the northampton guy from fiji that's the one or you know just pick pick it pick a player at random you know you can get a an english man's name right wow they say nurses have it tough they do yeah so ruddy bloody brave i I like the way that you just moved me on from northampton i was nowhere near finished (laughs) did i do that yeah sorry mate well let's go back then no no fuck you i didn't move you i didn't move you on Maybe I did. I can't even remember moving on. But yeah, correct. Well, anyway, look, Saints are getting relegated this year. It's happening. Because, no, well, they... no, you know, you, I just want to uh, give you give you the to Saints. To be fair, bench. you'll be all right if you go down to um, Division 1 and have to play touch. Yeah, we will. Yeah. The, but... the replacement front row, James Fish and Owen Franks and Nick Oldsrack, who's had more clubs than I have in my golf bag, mate. It, like, I'm, I'm not sure... Anyone's going to be worried about that. Sean Adendorf, never heard of him. I thought he was one of the Australian fast bowlers. <laughs> Possibly. I, 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 I haven't been this down about Northampton since Malander. Oh, everything was so was so positive. So rosy, yeah, so rosy. We are comfortably the worst team in the Premiership. Comfortably. Was Tamara Harrison injured? At the weekend. No, so we were missing Harrison, Bigger, um, Laws, who was in the fitness before the game, um, Naira Voro, um, and um, Ollie Slightholm. Yeah, 
It's interesting that you mentioned Nayavoro. Like when he first came into the to league, everyone was like, "Oh my god, this guy is fucking amazing." He he can like, and he's gone right off the piss shed, hasn't he? Like mm. he just well, like, teams just learned how to play him, haven't they? Just yeah, attack him. Like yeah. yeah, he might do something with the ball, but you can't pick him if he's a swinging gate, can you? Yeah, well, that's that's true. Um, uh. Sunday. Let's go on to Sunday before uh, before we find Doug in a in a corner rocking somewhere. Um, London Irish versus Leicester. Leicester had a, a positive start to the season last week, um, and they were welcome to the. Is it the Brentford Stadium, Doug? I don't know Brentford what Community what, what, Stadium. Is that what it's called? Is it? Yeah. Okay. Catchy. <laughs> That's why he said it. How 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 was it? Um, it, it's a nice, nice little ground actually. Nice and close to the pitch. Uh, the camera positions, I don't think, were very good. Too, too high up. But um, yeah, nice little ground actually. It should be good. And sixteen thousand capacity. So London Irish will actually fill a couple of sides of it, which will be nice for them. They might even get a few more train station right next to the ground, rather than it being out of town. Yeah, I think it'll be good for Irish. Yeah. Hopefully, I mean, I guess it. I guess it's a lot more intimate than the the Medeski. Yeah, the Medeski is one of the most soulless, um, sort of tepid environments you could ever play a game in. Even when it was full up for the Premier League games and ready to win the Premiership, it was still just dead. You know, and it and it's out on an industrial estate. There's nothing around it. You can only get bust in. This place is like in the heart of. London is great to get to. I mean, it'd be a nightmare to park out on a Saturday, but it's literally two minutes off the M4, and you can get a train. So, yeah. what, the what's, what's the nearest the tube? Uh, there's a London, there's an overground station, um, Q something or other, Q Bridge maybe. Uh, Q, yeah, overgrounds at Q Bridge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's you know, and there's a couple of pubs right next to it. It's, I think it'd be a really nice place to go for an away day, actually. Yeah. Because well, then you can hop on the train and get in the town and get right on the beers. Right on the sauce. Um, maybe one day when we can go and visit, you know. If um, you haven't all died from doing illegal malls. <laughs> let, me t- let me tell you one thing, mate. I mean, I haven't been enough mo- in enough malls in my life. I, I got him one playing for the Midweek Cowboys at Dunstable and was so scared because my head got trapped between the hips of two forwards. And I was like, wow, this is definitely good. My, <laughs> my head's going to get snapped off here. <laughs> Were they giving birth to you? I, I just don't. It was terrifying. I got out of there quick. There's not many places that I'd least rather be. Than in the <laughs> the center of a mall. No, thank you, sir. I would rather be. Oh, you're a fucking weird cunt. Um, <laughs> let's. Uh... Ben's just bowed his head up. <laughs> so, we, we haven't sworn for ages. <laughs> right, let's let's move on to any other business. We've we've done a, a a right odd hour and ten minutes here. Um, Doug, why don't you go first? Is there any other business? Um, I worked on the Super League Grand Final on Friday night, and it was quite simply put one of the best sporting events I've ever witnessed. 
if you haven't seen it, you must. Anyone listening to this must have seen the finish by now. Uh, the final hooter went to signal the end of the game. There's a drop goal that would have been good from about 85 metres had it have, uh, not hit the very top of the thinnest goalpost in the whole world. Dropped back just in front of the post, bounced up and over the crossbar to be dotted down by a 17 or 18-year-old kid playing his first in uh, his fifth ever game for St. Helens, I think, something like that, um, to win the match with the last touch of the ball of the game. We, we talk about rugby union players putting in shifts. Um, one, one of the St. Helens players made 69 tackles. I mean, that that puts a bit of um, context around someone. Like, we, we say someone's put a hell of a shift if they've made, like, 22, 23 tackles. Yeah, 69 tackles. There was Clara everywhere. The final score was 8-6. Where was it? Old, oh, was it Old Trafford? No, it Tremendous. was a whole stadium. Whole stadium. Um, yeah, 8-6. It, it was 2-0 at halftime, and it was... Um, Six four, uh, with no seconds remaining. Just an incredible, incredible game, and it really made you wish that fans were there because it would have been unreal with um, a full house there. It would have just been spectacular. If you haven't seen the ending, just if you see it on Sky being repeated, or if you just go to the website and just watch the last sort of five minutes because it's end to end and it's just amazing. A real, a real. Not every rugby league match I've ever seen has been like that. I've watched a lot of really bad rugby league matches, which are blowouts. But that, that was two of the biggest rivals. There is stories all over the pitch. Young lads playing. Two all-time rugby league greats, James Graham and um, Sean O'Loughlin, retiring after the game. Um, you know, like like I mentioned, blood, bit of niggle. Fantastic uh, advert for that sport. Um, unfortunately, they're probably the only sport in the world that's worse run than rugby union. So, <laughs> fair, fair enough. Uh, ben, when you go next, um, I haven't got a lot really. Um, that guy Lawrence Fox, I, I give him a lot of credit for all the crimes he solved, but he's uh, he's turned into a right belter, isn't he? He certainly chats a lot of shit oh, on the old, yeah. on the old on the old twitters. Yeah. It's a shame. I like Lewis. You've got a temper. <laughs> Anyone that talks a lot of shit on Twitter, you, you just have to use the prime meridian, which is Donald Trump. <laughs> his, his level of shit over the last three weeks has just been off the charts, and everyone seems completely sane. So when I woke up to the Lawrence Fox stuff, I was like, oh, checks out. Because <laughs> <laughs> the tweet that, like, directly below it is Donald Trump claiming that his own Department of Justice employee who's been defending him might have been involved in the corruption that rigged the election so yeah Lawrence Fox. he, he actually yeah. he thinks that it, it's a conspiracy that goes back to the venezuelan president who died like eight years ago doesn't he That's... jesus just off his rocker honestly yeah. he, he he's the kind of bloke that watches ancient aliens and goes that well it might have happened <laughs> You know, the Incas, they probably invented space travel. You'd think so, yeah. yeah. How else yeah. did the pyramids get there? President of the United States. 
I mean, if if we're talking about Twitter, you know, Twitter barometers, that's it's it's a fairly high bar to set, isn't it? Um, unbelievable. Yeah. Rudy Giuliani, he's uh, he's he's dropped a bit, isn't he? Oh, fucking oh, hell. No. <laughs> oh. uh, Phil, Phil, any other um, yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about podcasts. Now, to me, a podcast should be uh, an hour long and no more. So that's all I've got to say on it. Okay, good, good. good. I mean, <laughs> if, I, if I could chop this down by 15 minutes. I'll, Phil, uh... do you want to speak for 10 minutes about that? No, I'm good. <laughs> okay, well, I'll finish off then. And, you know, I may have mentioned once or twice before, I am not in any way, shape or form a fan of motor racing. Um, but the crash at the start of the Bahrain, was it Bahrain? The Grand Prix yesterday, um, Roman Grosjean is the most horrific racing car crash I think I've ever seen. Tell that to Ayrton Senna. Well, yeah, no, and that, that's the worst one I've seen this year. Really? Yeah. It literally ripped the car in half. How that bar- how that metal barrier didn't take his head off, I'll Did never you see. see. The val- we, we spoke, we hadn't any other business about Valentino Rossi's one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was um, that was incredible how he didn't die when the bike didn't literally just wipe him out. This, I have, I have absolutely no idea. Like, the car got ripped in half. And it was that they said it's that halo thing that that saved him, like the the thing that everybody hated and that was introduced for driver safety. And if that wasn't there, the the barrier, the metal barrier that he collided with, and he and the front of the car went through, literally would have decapitated him. It is utterly, utterly mental. And you know what the barring the the officials said about that particular area of the course is why that metal barrier still existed, which was, oh well, we didn't think that there would be a crash there. That's why there wasn't like was, a tire when, wall or one of those other special safety wall things. When the when the car caught fire, big massive fireball flaming mass akin to a forest fire. He was in that for 32 seconds before they pulled him out. Yeah. And he's got some slightly burnt fingers. It's absolutely crazy how he's how he's in any way, shape or form fit now. Well, you know, you get your fingers burnt. Um, I mean, and I'm one to know about setting yourself on fire. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I feel you feel, feel your pain, Roman. Roman. <laughs> You know, he's not going to be. Just, t- it's just the same. Formula One driver gets punted into a barrier and bursts into a ball of flames. Big fat Cornishman boots a petrol can at a fire and bursts into flames. Uh, <laughs> no, that's really unfair. He, oh, he's not. Don't call him a Cornishman. Oh, okay, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Ooh, you've offended Ben. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, that's that's the end of this week's Mallover podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, another week of random stuff and hopefully we'll be back next week to do it all again uh go well sports 
Social Podcast Network.